Hello and welcome to another episode of the Third Wheel. I'm one of you. Well, I can't restart once. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Third Wheel. I'm one of your hosts, Hamish. And I'm the other host, Aaron. And we're joined here for episode 29 with one of our friends who's re- gone back to India after graduating from Warwick. His name is Manan. Manan, if you'd like to introduce yourself a little, tell us what you do, how we met and so on. Hi, uh, very excited to be on this podcast. Um, right now, I'm basically a solar entrepreneur. I run a startup called Unergia, which is basically a platform for a third party to invest in rooftop solo projects in India. And I went to Warwick and did uh, studied econ over there. It's a funny story how I've met Aaron and Hamish. It's uh, It was because of Liana and Jitin. So big shout out to Liana and Jitin. And uh, so, so I lived in Heronbank and Jitin lived just a block next to my block. And uh, there was this one time when I think Liana was very excited to uh, meet an Indian from India. And I was just loitering around the corridor and she just chatted me up. And uh, low chaps. And she, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, that, that's how we became friends, really. Um, so I, that's how I met the two of them. And at Jitay's birthday party, I met Aaron for the first time. And Hamish, I met when I lost my bank card at the bus. I think Hamish loves saying <laughs> that story, so I could roll it over to him for that. I don't know, saying I just, um, I just remember that as a moment when we met. Like we, I mean, we spoke at the Diwali. Um, we were going to Leicester with Hindu sock for I think the Diwali fireworks or something or the New New Year's one, and we were just having a conversation on the bus. That was the first time we properly spoke, I guess, after that, that party. And then, I don't know how many, how long it was after that. Um, I was yeah, I was just at that bus stop and I found a bank card on the, on the bench. <laughs> it said M Meta. Um, I didn't know my surname was Meta at the time because I don't think we were even Facebook friends at the time. So I just put it up and lost and found. I obviously blurred out the number. It seems to shock Aaron that I would return someone's bank card for some reason. You know? Yeah, yeah. Especially back in those <laughs> days, man. You, you were dodgy I guy. I wasn't mugging people at Warwick. Are you mad? <laughs> Okay, okay, yeah. If you yes, it was my plan. It was my plan on getting onto third wheel to strategically yeah. <laughs> leave the bank card at the same seat where Hamish was going to sit on the bus so that you guys invite me on third wheel two, two years down the line. Yeah, you were playing a long game. <laughs> <laughs> we are other mutual friends. So, Avantika is one of your friends, good friends as well. And I think that was something you said to us earlier, like when you first started at university. She was someone who like kind of quite helped a lot you become more like sociable, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Um, so Avantika was one of my friends who I knew from uh, back back home. And we, fortunately, we moved into Heronbank as well. She was living just two blocks above my block. Yeah, I was living in a little bubble of mine when I came to Warwick and I didn't have too many friends. It was probably due to a lack of intercultural social skills. And surprisingly, Avantika just had all of that. And she was a major reason for a bustling social life that I had in my first year. And even now, in fact, a lot of friends that I have from Warwick and I keep in touch with are originally Avantika's friends. (laughs) I think even like Sid was saying, uh, Sid from episode... Uh, what episode number was that now? 24. Uh, (laughs) 24. Yeah, he was saying as well, like because he came to Warwick uh, from India. Although he wasn't an international student, but like when he first came, he found it very lonely. 
coming from abroad to like another country. How did you find it? <laughs> I love how um, people have become, um, you know, their identities are attached to the episodes of this podcast. It, it literally is now for me See? sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, so, so the thing is that we learned so much more about people on the podcast episodes than we even knew about them in person. So it's kind of crazy because like we may have known them for like years and spent so much time together, but we don't know certain things till like we're on the podcast and it just comes out. Yeah, I, that's what I found very fascinating about this podcast. It's you know when you meet older friends from uh, uni, you kind of live the same experiences. You you recollect the same experiences that you've had back at Warwick. But listening to this podcast, which is uh, up until now, it has a lot of Warwick people. Yeah. It's very fascinating to listen to Warwick people's experiences who you haven't known. So that's that's my that's my favorite part about Third Wheel. It's <laughs> living, it's living uh, Warwick people's experiences who you didn't know. Yeah, yeah, even even for me, it's like yeah, a lot of the people. So most of the people that we have had on the show, we have known, but. Even the people that we haven't known, it's been really interesting, like to get to know them a lot more. And then the ones we have known, it's been interesting to like get to know them more than we already did, and even find out new things that we probably should have known but we never asked. <laughs> this the <laughs> podcast just gives you that kind of like environment to have those kind of, like type of conversations. Yeah, that that explains uh, all the questions that were sent before the podcast like especially <laughs> the ones under the if you're feeling brave category um, yeah I, so um, <laughs> how did you find that um, transition from uh, living in uh, India for what was it 18 years and then coming over for university it was it was very interesting I mean it changed me in so many ways now that I look back at it but I feel it can be compared on so many different levels of course the first level is uh, being in India as compared to you know i wouldn't call warwick to be a part of the uk though like geographically it is a part of um it is a part of the uk it is if you look at it from a very cultural uh, sense it's it's a part of the world it's a global village so i feel like culturally i moved from india to a global village and uh, on another level, I moved from a, a very populated city mm -hmm. to a, a very rural campus. So, yeah, that's the, that's the kind of two classifications I'd make. As, and it was very interesting. I, I think in the initial few uh, months, I was, you know, every international student has to walk this thin line of uh, intercultural communication where when we are still getting to know people from different nat nationalities, you want to be respectful about what others find offensive, what others might like, might not like. So I think that that process leads you to be a part of a smaller clique in the initial few months. That's what that's where I was in the, in the first few months. I was just uh, hanging around with people I was familiar with. And then that's after that, I started uh, expanding my um, horizons right yeah so and then say. what about um the courses so uh the economics course was super interesting i i thoroughly enjoyed my uh time studying at warwick but i think i realized during my three years one of my one of the biggest um like aha moments were when i 
promised myself that I was going to make most of the opportunities that I had at Warwick rather than the academics. And uh, that that's what really made my three years at Warwick, three and a little more years at Warwick, a lot more meaningful than uh, just the course itself. What kind of things did you do? Uh, during my three years, I was involved with um, a bunch of activities that I never thought I'd get the opportunity to get involved with. I was writing for a small magazine called Warwick Emerging Market Society. Um, I volunteered in Brazil and South Africa when I, while I was raising money for um, children's organizations, um, for, which was aimed at educating underprivileged children in um, about eight developing countries. And apart from that, I also gave a TEDx talk at Warwick. It was on the economics of happiness. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Man, I've done my research on you. So you, yeah, you gave a TED talk. Link will be in the description. But um, so I've got the title here. If you needed a hundred reasons to be happy, money could buy seventy of them. What year of university did you do that? It was in the last year of university, two thousand seventeen. Okay, what made you um do it on like that and like that topic in particular? Oh man, I think I was I was thinking about this earlier today as well. Um, I run a startup yeah. now, which is in the solar space. It's quite interesting, not complaining at all. But I think my life goal is to do more research in this particular field of economics. So it essentially branches from um, from this ideology that... Um, so just a little bit of a history lesson. So in the 40s and 50s, um, when um, the US was trying to perfect the science of waging wars there was a social scientist called uh, simon kuznets he came up with uh, the concept of gdp which we still use it was it was basically um, the perfect metric for resource allocation back in the 40s and 50s uh, in order to um, you know strategize in, in the most efficient manner of how a usa should be waging its wars yeah, and GDP is a uh, gross domestic product, right? Yeah. Jeez, I'm a big man. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the basically uh, when they came up with that metric, it became the benchmark of how the countries all over the world still measure economic performance, and uh, that's that's where the folly lies. And this entire branch of economics of happiness, it's actually led by a Warwick uh, professor who um, he's leading the entire research all over the world. His name is Dr. Andrew Oswald. Um, he's basically uh, prophesizing that uh, we are using the wrong metric, which does not take into consideration how happy a person feels while doing a particular job. We are just concerned about uh, what kind of uh, productivity is adding to the economy and um, yeah it really questions our priorities as a society i think i feel like when i've made my dough uh probably like 30 40 years down the line i just <laughs> want to commit my life to that branch of economics it really fascinated me because at that time i was also going through a lull like um like a little bit of mental health issues and uh, while trying to make myself just a happier person it appealed to me a lot yeah that's how i've got around to doing the TEDx talk yeah you're saying that um 
I watched it again today. And it said you were saying it, there's a positive relationship between your income and happiness, but only until you hit a certain point, and then that's when it starts to flatten out, right? Yeah. So according to Easterlin's paradox, there is a positive relationship between income and happiness until sixty thousand dollars. This is a study done in the 1990s, so obviously the number is going to change, but around. Um, it, uh, around $60,000 at that point in time was the optimal amount of money you need to earn in order for money to not buy you any, uh, any amount of more happiness. So there are other factors like um, whether you own a house or not, how many people you're living with, how's your, how's your, what's your family status like that matters to you, that matters to your happiness much more than uh, the amount of mo- money that you're earning. So it essentially gives you an idea of how much happiness money can buy, which is quite a powerful idea if you think about it. Yeah. One one thing I didn't get is like how you're saying, I, I don't understand how you're able to measure. So how are all these people able to measure happiness? So it's based on surveys. Uh, they have about, um, so this study was conducted over, I think the the number of data points they had were 1 million. And um, and it was over a period okay, of well. 20 to 30 years that this data was collected. And uh, there were a bunch of surveys that were done on them. There were qualitative surveys, there were quantitative surveys done. Like uh, the, the, It's actually a perfect science, which not, not a perfect science. It's, it's an imperfect science where um, uh, I'm forgetting the specifics of it right now, but it's around like uh, three three pillars and seven foundations about how a person is feeling at a given point in time, uh, how a person is feeling on a long-term basis. And all of it has been inspired by what Bhutan measures. So Bhutan actually Mm -hmm. measures gross national happiness instead of gross domestic product. And which is why it's regarded as one of the happiest countries in the world. Where, Where is it? (laughs) <laughs> same <laughs> no, you're gonna front it's a, it's a really small country between um uh india and china have you been i have actually uh i've been to bhutan but i was very young so i don't remember too much of it but i think i okay. I, I was happy um, i was happy but <laughs> <laughs> that's good no yeah and uh, yeah if anyone um, wants to check out that ted talk we'll put the link in the show notes how, d- how did you get into it like, how did you get onto the TED Talk in the first place? I was super lucky, dude. So, so there were auditions for it. I auditioned for it, and um, auditions. Yeah, there were. I think about thirty people who were auditioning for it. They had they had spots for three speakers, and they, they loved my talk. They loved what I was talking. Uh, this the topic of my talk. Yeah. But they placed me as a fourth speaker. Okay. So, like, in case something went wrong, I was go- I was supposed to be called upon. Which I mean, so if this was football or rugby, I would still have chances of, you know, believing that I'm going to be called upon. But this is just a talk. I the sub kind of thing. Yeah, literally. I think you think he was the reserve or something. Yeah, yeah. I was the reserve. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought that uh, um, like a bad circumstance can happen before a talk. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> fortunately, unfortunately, during the Christmas break, one of the speakers, um, he broke his back. Oh, 
he he broke his back because of which i had to be called upon but after uh, they called me uh, call me uh, they called me out to um, speak on the forum that guy he basically decided that even with a broken back he's going to be speaking <laughs> with the initial arrangement of three speakers they moved it to four in order to accommodate me so that's like i basically auditioned for it but i also got massively lucky to be able to speak no that's pretty sick though the they they obviously thought you were good enough to have you anyway despite there being three already ready <laughs> i don't know man i was just well, that's what you should take it as <laughs> it's just yeah i guess yeah 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 so go check that out it's really interesting and then also another thing i wanted to note was um so i listened to a podcast a previous podcast that you've been on the passion people podcast link will also be in the description and you were saying that you graduated as an outstanding student from economics and you're the first indian to do so <laughs> yeah but to be honest if i had to exchange my award for the dab that hamish made <laughs> at the <laughs> graduation ceremony i'd do it hands down so for those who don't know hamish when hamish graduated he dabbed before he got his where it's called certificate whatever um, yeah yeah but what was uh what's this outstanding student thing i didn't even know they had this thing these things um, even i didn't uh, to be very fair it's basically uh, i think it's given to a student who has been massively active in okay. terms of uh, extracurricular activities and uh, yeah. i was doing since i was doing like a bit of charity work and um, like the tedx talk and a bit of writing for magazines and stuff uh, that's why i was um, eligible for it oh wow so how many other candidates were there as well like there are probably hundreds right uh from what i know i think there were about 700 nominations right you won out of 700 jeez <laughs> i no, i wasn't the only one i i think there were about uh, eight of them one out of a hundred G. <laughs> Same thing, right? <laughs> Still good. And now you're on the third wheel. Look at us. <laughs> we made it, Aaron. We made it. <laughs> we know this guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this this extra curriculum stuff, you said you did like traveling to was it Brazil for a bit? What was that like? You you trekked through the uh Amazon rainforest, right? Yeah, that was so sick. Um I think this was uh this was back in twenty sixteen. Holy shit, it's been four years. Um, yeah, it was four years back when, um, I was basically part of this charity concierge program where I had to spend one week in the Amazon rainforest and one week at, um, the site of the organize, organization that I was raising funds for and that, which was in Rio de Janeiro. And, um, this was coincidentally and uh fortunately it was also at the same time when the olympics were happening oh, awesome, in brazil man. how was that like it was pretty incredible um like especially with the olympics going on it must have been like buzzing over there yeah to be fair i didn't go to do many events because it was too expensive yeah but uh we saw a very rosy side of brazil mm -hmm. i think uh what i think brazil like any third world country has its fair amount of inequality and uh, uh like poverty from what i yeah. heard was they had just removed all the shacks that were in the purview of uh, the stadiums 
and yeah that was there was a bad side of it but the other side of it was like the good part was again like it became a multiculturally global village there was a lot of um, apart from the sporting events there were a lot of parties and um, a lot of um, yeah a lot of cool stuff that was and we gone for a lot of treks as well sorry but when so, you say rosy does that mean good or bad good oh, okay okay that's good have you have you never heard rosy before no <laughs> no good oh, okay fair enough <laughs> like yeah no no it's, it's definitely good okay um, a lot of my friends a lot of my friends in the uk think that we indians use english in a very um, funny manner there is uh, so i use rome around a lot like r o a m rome yeah that's fine yeah and apparently like that's like yeah, old that's, english that's a common saying oh i mean maybe maybe it's like uh, we're um, definitely not the people to tell you you i guess no no you wouldn't hear like a i guess you wouldn't hear like a teenager saying i'm just roaming the streets they'll say i'm lurking i don't know i guess i'd say that no no if you roam i guess it's not a, like a necessarily a positive thing if you just roam i've heard roaming know. around at warwick a lot though like i, I think i feel like yeah, yeah I, I think roaming roaming's fine yeah, don't listen to them and tell them to fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're no, we're no, we're no English teachers. But speaking of teachers, you did a bit of teaching in South Africa, right? Yeah. Oh my, that was a that was a complete adventure. Because apart from the teaching bit, I, there's so much that I, I want to get into. When anybody asks me about that, I don't know where to start. It's a different podcast of its own. To give you highlights, there were children who were carrying guns to school children as in like 13 to 16 year olds they were uh, they had they had they were, they used to carry guns to school there were teachers who came before us who had been shot dead by the students it was in a black township called alexandra which doesn't see people from outside its township so seeing like foreigners coming from outside south africa was a was something that never seen before Apart from that, there was teenage pregnancy at any given point in time. There were 14-year-olds who were probably prostitutes and they had sold sex to other 14-year-olds for the equivalent of two pounds and uh, and they had uh-huh. gotten pregnant at the same time. Yeah, it's a, it's a different world altogether. These kids, I was teaching them math. and um, So you were teaching these kids that were bringing in guns into school? into the yeah. school you were teaching at <laughs> exactly it was fucking crazy dude and then what like, it was um like so you is it like hidden do, do you know they're like is it obvious they've, they're bringing in the gun are they like literally like walking around with it so it's it's very omnipresent but it is monitored by so i'll tell you how commonplace it is so outside um, outside the school they have signs which says that no guns are allowed and before before all these students are admitted inside the uh, school building, all the bags are checked, especially, especially for the guns. I heard about a lot of uh, drug and alcohol abuse practices that happened among, uh, again, teenage 15-year-olds. They, were, they had this weekend bender where <laughs> 15-year-olds would go drinking on Friday night and come back to sc- and keep on drinking until Monday morning when they had to come back to school. And another activity that they were a part of was called was called Bluetooth. So what they basically did was they smoked weed. All of these guys, uh, these 15-year-olds, they smoked weed. 
but they didn't have these guys were poor so they didn't even have enough weed to smoke like for all of them to smoke a spliff and um what what they basically did was one person got high the uh, the weed went into their bloodstream and the other people took the blood out of uh, their body through an injection and put it in their own without checking for um without checking for any sort of blood oh, blood compatibility that's one of the reasons why aids was uh, spread so rampantly in those areas and they just did this Mad. like by themselves not like with any like medical no no assistance no, or anything no medical assistance Fuck these were naive uh, kids who were doing all of this god how long were you there in south I was africa for two months but so i'll tell you an interesting part of my time there so uh, i basically realized during my time that you know there were a lot of shadow teachers on the register what do, what do you mean by shadow teachers um so basically the authorities it was a government school and the principals and uh, the vice principals they were adding extra teachers on the register to show the government that there are more teachers than there actually are so that they can siphon off the extra money that they get as salary so it was a very corrupt activity that was going on and uh, there's also a bunch of money that was coming for a school school playground creation and yeah so all of, all of this money was being siphoned off by the top authority and i i kind of got a hint of it i basically leveraged the fact that i was from warwick and if they didn't comply to what i was asking them to do which is create a playground they would be losing a lot of volunteering business in the future Jeez. and uh, basically um, you know i kind of designed a sort of a protest with the students and also convinced the teachers to be a part of it it wasn't a wide uh, yes, protest or anything, but what we were able to achieve by the end of two months was a playground where uh, these could, kids could play and that's a massive social glue like football like these guys were majorly using the playground for football and uh, football is a major major social glue in uh, in south africa and uh, so there was a volunteer who went a year after me to the same school and they recorded the or compared to the numbers that i had recorded when i was there they had recorded the uh, drug consumption rates uh, gambling rates and also teenage pregnancy rates in mm-hmm. the school itself and they had seen a significant fall it didn't become zero but they had seen a significant fall because people were reverting to more sociable activities they choose football over everything else that um, they could potentially get so that was a good thing that came out of south africa did you not well since you obviously knew the gun situation and everything were you not scared when you decided to go up against like the entire school or whatever it it was kind of hostile wow. in the beginning because when i went when i started the negotiation bit i had to convince my students first telling them that uh, you know i'm trying to do this for you are you going to be on my side but what usually happened was that when i tried to convince them they would just think that my promises are hollow and empty because i i'm guessing they have been made such promises before as well so uh, during the break time when i'd go and talk to them and these guys were like smoking in school premises and nobody could do anything about it so they would just smoke it like when i would ask them to cooperate with me they would uh smoke the cigarette on like into my face so like i did face a lot of hostilities and 
as far as guns were concerned i did know they were around but okay truth be told i was hmm. i was majorly depressed during that time i was massively depressed because there was a huge suspe- like i i started empathizing with these kids a lot and i realized that i could have i could have easily been one of them the only difference between them and me is the fact that i'm born to the right parents and these guys aren't so i must so i just felt like i owed something to them and i, I actually wasn't thinking rationally before making these uh, make, making these huge leaps in order to create the sustainable change that i wanted to so uh, if you were to ask me what was i thinking i really wasn't i was i just had this one goal of leaving an enduring impact that that stayed on even after i left wow i how yeah that that that's like another thing you did mention in in that podcast that i said you were on is you feel like a guilt of your privilege and i thought that was really interesting what what makes you why do you feel like guilty for your privilege i just feel that um, you know our lives shouldn't be dictated by certain circumstances that we were born with if if we have a certain privilege well, well the guilt it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative connotation it basically uh, implies that um, there is a certain responsibility that you owe towards the society mm. if you're born to privilege you can't just relish upon it you have to be you have to take responsibility for certain amount of lives that could have been made better if it wasn't for all the resources that are being dedicated to you yeah and do you think that's came from like i know your experiences in south africa and volunteering in brazil i think it comes from a place of gratitude honestly like i i didn't feel this guilt of privilege until i came to warwick why at warwick did it kind of like hit you i was i just realized when i came to warwick how the kind of education that we got that was remarkable that was absolutely remarkable and the kind of people i met like including yourselves it was it was it, you know just going next door and meeting um, remarkable people who are working on remarkable things who have so many different opinions and um, uh, just a different way of looking at life it's not these it's not something that everyone gets at their disposal it's probably just top 1% of uh, the entire population that gets to go to these universities and i feel i was very grateful uh to get that kind of um, education in, uh, in at warwick that's that gratitude led me to feel responsible for all the lives that i wasn't living yeah no totally hamish did you ever i, I don't know if i interrupted oh. you earlier no no i was just thinking in my head after you said that i was like oh. <laughs> like someone had just said that it's a privilege to me yes the um... <laughs> 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 Going back to um your time in South Africa whereabouts were you I was in Alexandra it, okay. it's uh so Alexandra is basically um it's 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 a black township so it has 100% black population so yes yeah, so yeah. I was going to say like did they not have pl- playgrounds at all there like you said the playground thing did they have like no playgrounds like how did it work beforehand oh, no 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 there there were none in fact the school premises were um kind of caged 
so that the students can't leave. What does that mean? Like cage, like they were fenced in or like? Yeah, they were fenced. So they had this space uh, next to their school premises, which was supposed to be turned into a playground. That's what the government had allocated that land for, but they were using it as a dumping ground. And the teachers and the the, the, oh, okay. the principals were supposed to convert that uh, ground into a playing space so that with all the money that they were getting. But um, yeah, they they didn't. Uh, they were just misus- misusing those funds. Did Sid ever talk to you about Ghana? Did he have similar experiences? We 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 didn't bring up Ghana on his podcast. <laughs> I don't think. Damn it, we should have. I think. You know when you're saying about the kids bringing in guns, hmm. do you know if that was for, uh, did they bring that in for protection? I think, um, so various reasons actually. It's the crime rates in these areas are very high. They do bring it for protection, but at the same time, you never know which kids out of these are involved in drug trafficking. And ha- hmm. have you guys watched Narcos? No. I, I have, yeah. Yeah. What a surprise! It's uh, it's you can you can give it that kind of a um, picture, like you know, kids roaming around with guns for self protection or maybe for uh, drug mm-hmm. uh, trafficking. But I think the monitoring had increased during the time that we were there, because just a week before, a student, a, a teacher had been shot dead by one of the students in the locality. <laughs> we got to know that after we ended up at the schools. Oh, so only once you got there. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Did you tell your parents? Like, would your parents not be scared for you? Like, yeah, my, would they not be like yelling at you? My parents were, in fact, uh, asking me to come back midway through the program. What were you saying? I, I was very enticed, actually, because, you know, I was in a bad space mentally as well. But then once I started, once I started, I, I was committed after that. I, once I started, um, you know, so I, I was actually, I was actually quite um, determined to make that. So leave that sustainable impact, so to say, uh, after I left. So once I, st- I, once I had a plan, I had to see it through no matter what. And even in apart from all of that, I think um, if I had to delve into the kind of education system that the South Africans are exposed to, it's with all due respect to any South African who might be hearing this, if at all, it's 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 flawed at the very fundamental level. So you know. In, so th- these guys basically started using calculators for uh, since uh, since grade six, and uh, they would they were overly dependent on the calculators for the most menial calculations, and they weren't given proper training on how to use the calculator. So if someone had to, you know, make a calculation like what's the what's the what's the cube of minus one, they would still use a calculator for to be that. Fair, I I did that too as well. <laughs> <laughs> if, if if I've got a calculator, I just use it. I'll I'll do two plus two on it. I don't care. Yeah, did you ever do that in the exams? You know, in school, yeah. You when you had a calculator exam, you double check everything, even the most trivial things. I mean, I just used it in the first place. I didn't even use it to double check. I just used it. Oh, wow. <laughs> but um, yeah. Anyway, as you were saying, yeah, that that, that was what uh, South Africa was all about. It's as I yeah. said, it's a different post- podcast altogether. I, I don't know if you want to get into it much, but um, you said you're in quite a uh, quite a low place during your time in South Africa, what what helped you like get through that? Literally just a determination to leave a sustainable uh, impact for these folks that I, I was teaching. 
Okay, so it was like helping uh, build the playground and getting that and seeing that like kind kind of like come to fruition and even like a year later seeing that like how much that has helped like through the statistics and everything. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. I wish, yeah, I wish I have done something like that. You guys can still uh, be a part of Warwick in Africa even after you've graduated. Oh, so it's, it was with Warwick in Africa, that program. Oh, nice. Yep. I was going to say like regarding the sustainable impact, we're going to kind of take a bit of a tangent here, I guess. So you had said to me regarding the something I said on Sid's episode about when I said it as like just an idea, like out of the blue. And I knew that obviously people like Aaron Yash and Nisha are going to give me shit for it. So I, I said something along the lines of ideally you'd want a sustainable city, but start off in the poor areas, make one of them into a, build them up on that infrastructure and then maybe even sell the energy back to, I guess, the richer places. Um, but you had touched on the lines of maybe trying to transport energy from or sustainable energy from the rich to the poor areas. So I don't know if you wanted to say your piece on that. Yeah, I I don't think I've given an introduction of what Unergia does um, on this podcast uh, up until now. So I run the startup called yeah. Unergia. It's basically a platform for it's just, it's a solar marketplace and we provide a bunch of services uh one of them so the one that you are basically referring to uh is called open access and it's it's picking up so i speak in the context of uh india in india there are a few so so when you basically create solar energy at one given uh location you need to use the grid infrastructure to transport it to another location if you want to do that. And that is very much possible in a few states in India. Um, going forward, I think the main, the main problem is being posed by the distribution companies who, apart from you know, giving out this infrastructure for electricity distribution, they also have uh, plants which burn the coal in order to produce electricity so they are they, they kind of have a conflict of interest they don't want solar to be adopted too much because it's hurting their uh, coal business and which is why they can dictate the kind of transportation charges they uh, can put for solar and um, though theoretically uh, what you what the idea that you have given should be feasible in a matter of few years it's the political lobby that these distribution companies have which stop from solar to be transported from one state to the other or even from one country to the other oh i see well that kind of ruins my idea doesn't it <laughs> i've seen a lot and like i don't know how accurate this is to real life but is it true like oh is what you're saying is like what tv shows depict of energy companies being corrupt um, or like gas providers, etc. I guess is that true? Or? Absolutely. Um, I think I wouldn't use corrupt, so to say, but I, I'll give you a little background about why they need to be doing this. So, all the distribution companies in India, they have for the past twenty years. So, the distribution companies are partly government-owned and partly um, uh, privately owned, and all these distribution companies. Basically, have an accumulated debt of twenty billion dollars over the past twenty years. Oh, wow! And in order to pay off pay off that debt, the only thing they can do is pass it on to customers. 
now with the advent of solar they need to further uh, lower the prices of um, their own coal powered fuel which they can't afford to do which is why they are posing more of a threat for solar to become mainstream so i wouldn't say i wouldn't call them particularly corrupt but they are misuse misutilizing their uh, lobbying power to uh, stop the future of energy to you know, basically be expedited how fast well yeah how fast do you think the turnaround could be if they decided to invest in it themselves like if they decided for example to switch to sustainable and then maybe help other people get it like obviously they'd probably lose a lot of money um so like how how many years or so do you think it would actually be possible for them to turn it around if they decided to change their ways for a better world oh man that's a very difficult question um so the thing is that um there are a lot of forces in play over here uh first is obviously the price of oil and other fossil fuels um the good thing about this covid-19 is because of lesser demand oil prices have gone really low so some people are uh, are are saying that it might see an expert like it might see a, an earlier death than it was um, going to otherwise but on the other hand if we are talking about solar 90% of the solar modules that are produced in the world are produced in china so i don't know what kind of tariffs uh, what kind of i don't know how lenient the world is going to be with china going forward and that will obviously impact the supply chain so i the, the, the future is green for sure right i really can't answer on like i just don't want to throw a number i don't i can't answer when it's going to be completely green that's cool that's cool seen as you um you brought up uh, covid-19 how is that impacting uh unergia and your business so we do if i could segment our projects into small projects and big projects so big projects are hampered as in uh, so before any deal goes through in the solar space in india it has a long gestation period and because of covid-19 obviously um gestation periods have been ex- like have become longer in terms of supply chain there's a bunch of solar panels which have which are waiting at the border because uh, they're not getting the clearances that they should be getting since they are coming from china uh but if that that's about the big projects the small projects are surprisingly we are seeing an uptake so when i uh, i'm talking about individual uh, individual residential projects uh people are uh, we we basically ran a google ad campaign uh, which is seeing which is catching a lot of attention because uh, solar is not a top priority for people when during the hustle and bustle of life so they kind of take it easy they take a decision whenever they feel like right now with all the free time in the world they are just sitting at home and we are blasting ads on their faces and they're just you know they're like okay solar is something and it, it, it's it it's they're realizing with all of this um, tension that um like everyone needs to take responsibility for the environment and uh, 
just sitting at home, they are be- becoming more conscious consumers. And we are seeing an uptake in these smaller projects. But we've been very aggressive with our ads, yeah. Okay, so you're not in like a... Um, so you wouldn't say you're in a very like dangerous position where you'd be like financially in trouble for like a lack of business or anything? So we, since we're a startup, these... We, uh, we we only have a small market share to begin with. And that almost always doesn't get impacted. So if we were a big company, like um, uh, if we were a big company, we would see a massive uh, downfall in our uh, act- business activity. Since we just have like three uh, three full-time employees and a few interns, it doesn't really impact us too much. In fact, like if I if you were to ask me on a whole, um, it's actually a good thing for our business because it gives us more time to execute our previous projects in a better way and giving us time to deliberate on those projects that are going to come in the future. Oh, that's, that's 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 pretty good. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Also, I guess one of the, I guess the big talking points these days between everyone is. How is lockdown in India compared to well what we experience in the UK? Like, give us what insight you can. Um, and yeah, I guess we can always compare like what it feels like on either side. People are going crazy about work from home, but <laughs> it's not a um, it's it's kind of um. So, I think that's kind of. Uh, with India's infrastructure, India's internet infrastructure, India's. Uh, technological infrastructure people don't have uh, personal computers back at home so working from home is a big dilemma for companies that that is for most of the jobs then when it comes to there are a lot of problems that we are seeing in um, so there are a lot of blue collared workers who are basically like who are working as laborers or um, or like house help they want to they want to go back home to where they belong and it's with the complete lockdown it's very difficult for them to move around the country and they are also protesting uh, to the government uh, they're pro- protesting against the government and that's so that that had a huge backlash in um, delhi while the lockdown was on but thankfully i think india is learning from the mistakes cough, that cough. other countries have made <laughs> what, is that a joke? Oh no, that that uh, that should have been a joke, but I actually didn't. Yeah, yeah. I'm not laughing. At yeah, like what 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 is lockdown in India? So are you able to are you able to leave your house for like any reason? We are, but I think there is a. What's that for? Just like the essentials. That is for the essentials. Yes, people are not, uh, They are not. Um, there are certain states like Telangana which are not enforcing it, but they have said that they might, if they see anyone loitering around, then they might just shoot them. Like there's a shoot site uh, rumor that was going around at one point in time. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But it wasn't enforced. Um... It was just one of the things politicians said. <laughs> Even though I can't imagine like, I don't know, Boris Johnson coming out and saying, oh, we might shoot at site <laughs> if we have to. <laughs> so I, uh, uh... Are people um, taking like the government's advice? Are they following it, like in India? Mm, yeah, I think at least um, in my experience, 
um, okay, my experience is very. Um, so I live in a pretty privileged uh, part of the city. So my experience says yes, but I have heard of a lot of news, uh, mm-hmm. news like a lot of markets which are being uh, the people yeah. are not taking the correct precautions. Uh, a lot of um, areas outside my area where uh, people are loitering around, as if um, you know it's just a vacation going on. Uh, but uh, to give to give India its due credit, it's much better than it could have been. Like I can't like if you were to tell me before this lockdown that India was going to go on a lockdown and it has to this has to be implemented uh, the countrywide, I wouldn't believe it. it. It's it's unimaginable. One of the things I actually saw on the news because my parents obviously watch the Indian news, so. There's something about I don't know. I feel like this was more racial wars between within the country or something. So um, there was still like gatherings taking place, like religious gatherings, and oh, yes. they're basically claiming that they're victims instead of when they were organizing. They claimed that they're the victims instead of they're the perpetrators or the person organizing it and so on. And they were trying to play like the victim card out of it when they created like a gathering with like three to four thousand people or something. And then so many of those got infected and a lot of them had died as a result of it. Yeah, so I think you're, I think that two or three such events that have uh, happened over the past few days. I think the one that specially started all of this was, and the biggest one of the lot was the one that happened at uh, in Delhi with a bunch of uh, I'm forgetting what's called tablighi something um, but basically uh, these guys were, these religious leaders were asked not to um, have the gathering but they still went ahead and did it and there were, there was I think about 200 people got infected in that particular gathering itself and the rest were like untraceable, they couldn't like start tracing the down as well, it was very tough because they had already like disappeared to wherever again. I saw some mad stuff around it, but then the number kept rising for the ones that they did, you know, eventually get to, which was insane. Yeah. So, um, one of the bad things about India is like during the uh, lockdown is that testing is very low. So even though official figures say that there are only two thousand five hundred cases, we might uh, we might just have like 20 times the number is just testing is way lower than any other country. Uh, I think I saw st- statistics somewhere uh, bef- uh, before it said that for every uh, thousand people or every, yeah, every thousand people, there were 29 people being tested. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I thought uh, we were bad here, but that's, that's a really bad ratio. Basically, in certain areas, they're preventing doctors from like coming in to test them. They've been like spread some rumor that this, they're gonna spray poison or something on them, so they start rushing the doctors out like with stones and everything. Like it's actually insane. Don't know if you've seen that one by any chance. I think there there is a bit of uh, again there there is definitely. Um, I think what you're referring to is. The, the 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 even after you know these doctors are doing a phenomenal job in terms of like their dedication to the public health infrastructure. But even after all that they are doing, um, 
they are they are being not treated as they should be because i think there was there was a doctor in delhi who was being asked to get out of his house because they if he was carrying the virus himself they didn't want the community to be um uh, affected i mean that is ridiculous because if if you had to extend that logic then the doctor himself shouldn't be none of the doctors should be going to the hospitals to treat these uh, patients and one of the biggest of uh, i think one of the biggest problems that india has is the media <laughs> is uh, yeah and out of the all the media that we have the worst i have seen at least amongst my uh, parents is whatsapp oh my god that's <laughs> the whatsapp <laughs> spreads so much fake news i don't know how it is back in the uk no no it's it's along the same lines cuz i hear the most uh, bullshit from both well more particularly my mom <laughs> so, so like the people that sent her like all this that and that like they i think so at the time of recording this in india evening time they did like a thing where they only had their candles um lit so they're like oh we're doing the same thing in the uk I'm like who said this this is not true <laughs> like, this is not true and it's not been said for like 5 days and it's not been said today um, the only thing that's happening is at 8 pm is the queen is giving a speech that's literally it <laughs> like there's nothing else I was going to say mums and like aunties on the WhatsApp family chats. Fucking hell, the amount of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of rumors spread about coronavirus. And the thing is the amount of like what is it like things the remedies, the things that you should be drinking or like medicine you should take that will heal it. Oh be careful God. what you say about it's them because much. they are the ones who are going to get you the brides going ahead <laughs> for your arranged marriage. Oh god. <laughs> Definitely, definitely not. <laughs> well, is I'm just curious. Is this is it the case with only Indian um, aunties and uncles in the UK and India, or is is it like WhatsApp forward fake I news think it's or cool. phenomenon amongst all? Uh, I think it's like, like it transcends all. Yeah, yeah. Was, there's so many like Twitter like memes about it and jokes about like there was a there was an article that was going around fairly recently about the government were like going to like try and um. crack down on it like a lot of like fake whatsapp rumors um because it do- it doesn't help in a situation if you got people like spreading rumors that oh if they take this then they can be fine and then they might like try and go out and then there's so many people like just quoting that in like a tweet or like replying back to him being like oh <laughs> all the mums and aunties like now are like going to be looking at prison That'd time <laughs> now i'll tell you some myths that definitely like um spread around the the indian ones so basically One of them is so everyone knows how like cows are quite um religious or sacred to um Hindus so what they do is they usually have like bottles of cow piss like I guess exported and imported into yeah. India so and then it's like spray it like outside as if it's going to flipping kill kill the odor before it comes <laughs> in and all it does is stink up the flipping um outside of your house yeah I'm like what the cow fuck? piss can you buy cow piss yeah what You can in 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 India you can, you can buy, buy it here. Yeah, you could buy it But, like here as well in any Indian area what? you should be able to buy cow piss. But what what's that for? It's basically like you know how you have like holy water that's what they kind uh... of define it as. But I disagree with this heavily. First of all it's the, I I know instantly when if my mom was sprayed outside the house cuz we the way we live so we have a staircase right outside the house. So basically the whole staircase smells. I'm just like man what the fuck are you doing like There's no need for this. <laughs> like, corona, if the coronavirus is getting us, it's going. It's not going to stop just because you put cups on. That, that, could, de- that yeah. could deter people, though. 
You know, they could walk up. I mean, smell cow me, piss. Bro, I ain't gonna come back <laughs> next time I leave. It maybe will make you stop you leaving the house though. So you know, stay inside, isn't it? <laughs> so regarding, uh, so there there was recently a um, cow piss party that what? Um, party? the BJ, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So where they basically they, they, they think that it has scientific uh, formulations which uh, which which can fight the coronavirus. So it they literally had a party where everyone was fed cowpis. If you think so spilling cowpis is bad enough, these people are like being fed cowpis in order to combat coronavirus. Lord help! The hell, man. <laughs> like Aaron, you, the myths that you see, the myths that I'm aware of in the Indian community, fam, they drive they drive me mad. Like I hear, like, because my mom doesn't. Well, so my parents here, like, they grew up in a time where they didn't, they couldn't get education, so they actually were like working since like age ten or whatever. Yeah, and so when it comes to like technology, they don't, they're not able to use it as effectively. Sometimes we may have to open up WhatsApp or Facebook, whatever they have. Lucky they're not aware of obviously me and my brothers <laughs> Facebook and WhatsApp or not. Um. When we do, or whenever they're on the phone, just getting told all these bullshit stories, my god, I'm like, my brothers, my brothers, don't even contest it. You know what they do? They just walk off and they're like, they they say nothing. I'm I'm looking at him. He's like, he shakes his head, like, don't say anything. I'm like, what do you mean, don't say anything? Don't let this slide. Like, it's actually so mad. Like, because they 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 don't want to deal with it. It's like, no, it's just gonna be an argument for no reason. Like as I said, like one of those things, the calpis one, fam. The calpis one just has no logic, fam. Like, and I, and I don't want to ever. I hope the rumor never spreads to them that they have to drink I'm, it. I'm because... scrolling through my uh, family WhatsApp chat now, trying to find some, but um, I don't know if I can bait anyone out. <laughs> Although, there's too many messages in here. I'm having to scroll too much. Yeah, despite me saying this, obviously I still love my mom. <laughs> it's just that I can't handle some of these bullshit rumors that are just going about. None of them are doctors, but they're giving me doctor's advice. I'm like, please. I say it, man. I'm pretty sure she's gonna hear this podcast. Oh no, she definitely won't. She she doesn't even know that I do this. I, I don't want to go if through she, the, arg- the argument itself in explaining what I do. <laughs> you you know how you need to get like if if any point in time you need a massive blow in your um, traction, you just need to spread it yeah, in the right yeah. WhatsApp group. <laughs> Tell the moms to spread it around. Yeah, you can, mom's favorite. You can probably just do one podcast on cow piss and how it's great. Ooh, guess what the clickbait for this one is? Actually, yeah, this the title for this episode is going to be <laughs> Cow Piss Heals Coronavirus. <laughs> oh, there, I've, I've got one here. So this is in a message. Um, if you suck and chew ginger, the virus has no chance. The strength of the ginger should not be underestimated. <laughs> I've been cu- curing people of a number of viral infections for many years. The range of foods that I use for healing is very small. Ginger, turmeric, sprigs of pine, sprigs of fir, yellow mustard and white pepper. All these foods are capable of killing various viruses. But you see this turmeric rumor as well. This turmeric one is like, um, is out of hand as well, I think, because... Everyone says, oh, just drink, like, um, have some turmeric and so on, and you'll be healed. I'm like, I don't think that's how it works. I, I swear, turmeric's the, the, turmeric's the answer for everything, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's what I keep hearing this. Like, I remember one person, uh, Shri was, re- I'm just going to call her out, Shri was recently trying to, I'm like, fam, this is not going to make a difference here to coronavirus. Like, I don't think it picks in you, or you're having turmeric, I'm not going to come and attack you, fam. It doesn't pick like that, fam. I've got another one. All we need to do to beat coronavirus, we need to take more of an alkaline, more of alkaline foods that are above the 
above the above pH level of the virus, some of which are lemon, lime, avocado, garlic, mango, tangerine, pineapple, dandelion, and orange. Why is the pH level of um, these fruits that they said, or these vegetables? Uh, lemons at like 9.9, limes 8.2, mango 8.7. Hey, what's the pH level of coronavirus? What the fuck? Uh, <laughs> it varies from 5.5 to 8.5, apparently, <laughs> according to this message. <laughs> uh, but, see, it's got pineapple. I could just have pineapple and pizza, man, and be, be all right. <laughs> pineapple and pizza. That one. Wait, one and pineapple and pizza, yes or no? Oh, man, I'm hated for this. I wanted to say yes. Oh, oh yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. uh, we are sadly the, we are the majority in this conversation, but we are sadly <laughs> yeah. the minority in the world. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. There, don't there's worry. just we'll, some we'll foods that don't go together, and that's one of them. Well, people are going to change now they've heard that pineapple cures coronavirus, so. Yeah. Funny, because our <laughs> followers are so stupid and all. <laughs> uh, um, I went to, um, we've, we've gone a bit sidetracked. Uh, <laughs> I went to go back to um, Unergia a bit and just kind of find out kind of like how it all started. Um, so if you take it back to like university, so just before you're graduating, did you have like any idea what you're going to do once you did graduate? Um, I think I just wanted to avoid a real job. That's how um, I think I stumbled upon Unergia. Um, there was, uh, I, I was, I had no background in solar as such, but there was a friend of mine who was working on this since February of 2018. And he contacted me that he had this spare project, spare group project that he had done in university and his friends weren't no longer interested in pursuing it. He just asked me if he would, you know, he just asked me if he saw any, uh, if he just asked me if I saw any potential in pursuing this in India. And I thought, yeah, sure. Why not give it a shot? Nothing to lose. And um, yeah, we, that's, that's how Unergia really took shape was the motivation of uh, avoiding a real job. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So what a funny story is actually, we actually met in San Francisco when I was there. You were there for, why were you, why were you there again? Or for the viewers anyway? I knew why you were there, but. So, <laughs> so I was interviewing, we were interviewing for uh, Y Combinator um, for their uh, accelerator program. Wait, is it the biggest accelerator program, I'd say? But yeah, it's by far the largest accelerator program in the world. And it's run by like uh, the tech titans of um, Silicon Valley, which are obviously the tech titans of the world. Um, they have, a, so we're talking like in the leagues of Elon Musk. I, I think Sam Altman at that time was the, uh, Sam Altman was um, the um, the head of Y Combinator at that point mm-hmm. in time. Who, and he was also the head of OpenAI along with Elon Musk. Yeah. So these are these are the these were the big wigs of tech. The, apart from um, apart from Sam Altman, there was a founder of Gmail and Yahoo Mail on the team. We were interviewed by Gustav Altroma, who's also our mentor, and he was the growth manager of Airbnb when it was really shooting up. We were also wow, yeah. interviewed by uh, Chilu. He was he was uh, he was the COO of Baidu, which is China's Google, and has now and had then uh, moved to Y Combinator very recently. So these guys are like by far the greatest names in tech you can 
and they have also very very rich history in investing in startups they've invested in airbnb dropbox for uh, i think in 12 years yeah. the the market value of their companies is a cumulative 150 billion dollars so they started from mm-hmm. nothing and that's yeah they they huge before you had like into y combinator what did you have made already that got you to that stage to be able to even have or what how did you what did you have before you applied so we were essentially uh, working on so farhan at berkeley had basically developed this blockchain part platform that lets people uh, crowdfund solar panels but that had to be massively um, changed to suit the indian markets because it was um, so fundamentally crowdfunding in india is illegal um so obviously it had to be changed to the current model that we are which is it's a platform now but yeah mm-hmm. so going back we had we just had an idea we had some sort of an understanding of the market and uh, we were part of their online program called uh, the y combinator startup school which was basically a community online community of 15000 startups and we were top 100 which got us a grant nice of about um us, uh, of a reasonable amount of money and also got us an interview with um uh, with Y Combinator in San Francisco that's mad and then the interview itself how what kind of things were they asking you oh those those interviews are a very exhilarating experience i think it was it was a 10 minute interview and um it's literally just three people um so there were three people who were interviewing us and we were three founders yeah. and uh it was questions back to back without any stop and they they cut you off at any given point in time to ask you another question which was probably not related so you we really had to think on the feet without spoiling the flow of the 10 minute interview so it was very very rigorous and um and it, and it it's very easy to get nervous in front of these guys because mm-hmm. as i said like these guys know it all like the chilo it's 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 a very like funny conversation that we had amongst in, within our team as well so um chilo apart from working at apart from being a ceo of baidu he had also uh, i think he was a main guy who formulated microsoft excel like he was a part of microsoft and he made like microsoft office and excel and all of that and he was and he was looking at our financial model okay so here i am submitting my financial excel sheet to somebody who's made excel so that kind of stuff really <laughs> can intimidate you so uh, so i guess um, yeah, it was very yeah, important yeah. to but it was only like a you're saying it's it was only like a 10 minute interview mad i thought i thought it'd be like a lot longer like several So first the first stage is the application process the second stage is the online interview mm-hmm. that you that is basically phone call okay and the third stage was where we met them face to face and that was a 10 minute yeah. i guess they're probably interviewing like so many startups so yeah. like 10 minutes is the like There maximum are, time you were able to get about, i think every cycle they interview about um Uh, I think twenty, thirty thousand apply, and they interview about thousand. Okay, wow. Um, and did you like have to? You didn't get like a chance to like present to them or anything. Oh no, 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 no. Uh, they just 
it's a literally just a over the table mm-hmm. kind of an interview uh, where they just uh, test the kind of knowledge yeah they have um, i think okay. they have three main metrics through which they decide whether to invest in a company or not the first is uh, the team the second is the product and the third is the market so they so all of these things they they do if it's a hardware ours, ours wasn't a hardware based company so we didn't have anything to show like ours like yeah there wasn't too much of a presentation either i don't think they particularly enjoy presentations they like question answers and just a free more free flow of conversation yeah rather than a rigid process yeah no that's awesome and um you said you've now got a mentor the guy from airbnb now yeah how is it like having someone with that experience and like guess the resources he has and helping out with with you your uh, company he's helped us quite a bit he's helped us reach out to the right kind of people who are working on similar solutions in different geographies he's helped us um uh, obviously like he was the one who recommended that we get the grant so uh monetarily he has been very resourceful uh apart from that uh, he just i think with y combinator of course the people who are running it are geniuses like yeah really, really smart uh, leaders of, of their industry but the most important aspect is not the funding it's not the um uh it's it's basically a network it's the kind of network you uh, prom- uh, promote yourself to because yeah. within the vicinity of all these industry leaders are uh leaders of other like industries as well within their community would be mark zuckerberg elon musk bill gates all of these guys are just like one connection away from for them yeah no that's man it all sounds like it's going really well though for energia anyway even with the current like i mean i'm just posing on a really rosy side <laughs> where I guess that's the thing with startups. You're going to have like ups and downs um, regardless. It's quite difficult. It's it's very difficult. It's very daunting. Yeah. Especially in a market like in, uh, there are a lot of unnecessary troubles that we have to deal with, like ageism. Well, like your guys' ages and people like but, um, judging that. I, yeah. So the industry is filled with people who are like 40, 50 year olds. Yeah. And uh, we would, yeah, I'm definitely, like we are definitely the youngest in the solar industry who have their own practice okay so what have you found situations where you've maybe you haven't been treated the same way or treated fairly because of that yeah for sure for sure man absolutely um put some respect on your name fam (laughs) no no but it's it's been um i don't think it's it's particularly a bad thing because it just makes you uh, own up to I mean, I I see it from their perspective, and I don't blame them completely. You know, with like this, this, this the solar startup itself is a very um, like a capital intensive startup, so like a lot of money is involved. So they wouldn't people don't want to easily trust a bunch of uh, twenty early twenty year olds with uh, too much responsibility when they have had re- like no real job experience. Yeah, I guess I I just I'm just always like, hey, she's gonna take a piss, but I'm like, age is just a number, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. um, I let it slide for now. Like, I don't know if, if if you're good enough, you're old enough. When it comes to this kind of stuff, anyway. But um, so what's like, I guess what's the future plans so, for Unergia? Um, 
It's a good question. I I I get surprised about it every single day. Uh, it's it's going well, honestly. Touchwood right now. Um, it's really picking up. Some surprising things are happening. We're getting orders from all over the country. Um, the model that we follow are um, it's it's basically like a marketplace that 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 there is there's a lack of a marketplace in India. So it's it's working well for us. Um, I I really don't know what the future is. It could be I like I try to keep my expectations lower because you know with a startup it can blow up anytime. It's going well today, tomorrow might be the beginning of the end or whatever. But um, we are getting some good marquee clients, and we're doing some significant projects. Even if, even if this has to come to an end, maybe I wouldn't say it will come to an end anytime soon. But like, if it even if it had to come to an end, like two, three years down the line, with the kind of stuff that we have already done, I'd be happy with. So my future plans are to be happy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would have learned so much from Absolutely. this um, experience as well, like invaluable stuff. Yeah. Uh, no no it's good i yeah wish you all the best for it but i think this is now coming towards the end of the episode hamish do you have any other final final things to add no just keep doing your startup you're doing doing really well you're doing a good course (laughs) and yeah is there anything you'd like to add before we start rounding off the episode yeah i mean so i've been following you guys for a while it's so uh, delightful to see um you know like guys you like so that that's the that's the beauty of going to university with folks like minded folks like even i've started a company with uh, someone i met at warwick you guys met at warwick and now you're taking it forward by uh, promoting your relationship to like co-founders of third wheel it's a really rewarding <laughs> feeling to watch something grow from nothing mm-hmm. And um, yeah, when uh, Hamish sent me the invitation, I was very excited. This is basically a catch-up call just being recorded. It yeah, kept, yeah, that it makes kind it of is, all yeah. the more fun. Yeah. But as yeah, I said, I, like, I think that's been with like most people as well. Yeah, like with Sid, we had an email with Sid since like uni. Like we had a few failed attempts to meet up, <laughs> but work kind of got in the way. But yeah, then the podcast definitely made it happen. So it's kind of nice that the podcast is helping us reunite with people that we just haven't been able to you know i guess meet up with or we physically can't meet up with them so it's now we're playing that good part in our lives i guess social and it's i guess during lockdown it gives people something to listen to yeah they run out of ideas definitely i think as i said like one of the best things about this podcast is that you you guys are interviewing people from warwick so we are living experiences that we didn't hear about so I love I love it. I'm, I'm a loyal <laughs> fan. You've got me. Get, get today. Get today. Um, Thank you. Right, we'll start with the final questions then. So we have three final questions. Um, the first is, which song or album, if you had the chance to, would you listen to forever? So I think it's uh, Hans Zimmer's um, Interstellar album. Okay. I I revert to it quite a bit uh, during the weak moments of my life, which create the foundation for everything that happens thereafter. So yeah, definitely Hans Zimmer. What about you guys? Well, mine, my answer never changes here. It's 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying. Nice. <laughs> Mine's uh, a Marvin Gaye, Ain't No Man Tonight Enough. Oh, 
Oh, you say why? Um, yeah, uh, what's the story behind? Oh, for me, um, he got me through secondary school. So, yeah, that's always, it has a bit of everything. It has a bit of, you know, the, the more nitty gritty stuff and the, the more nice stuff, like the, I guess, the nice dancing tunes. He has a bit of everything in there. And yeah, that was just like that album. Nice. Without that album. It's, you just need that savageness, I feel like, at that point. That was the album. Aaron, what about you? Yeah, yeah my, mine's uh, Marvin Gaye, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, but there isn't really a like deep or emotional reason for that. I just think it's an absolute great song. I think his voice is great. And it's, it, I guess it's like just a motivational song in itself. So if um if there was like one song I had to listen to forever, I guess that's a, a good one to choose, something motivational and uplifting. If we go into the uh, second question, it is... If you could, if you had the chance, what would you make a documentary about? Um, yeah, I, I definitely want to make a documentary on uh, the economics of happiness. I, I probably okay. So, like extending your TED talk a bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. What would you go into that wasn't like covered in the TED talk? I think I just want to dedicate my life to um, just making people aware how we are going behind the wrong metric. Like the creator of GDP himself said that this is a very bad metric to judge the entire world on. And yet we are doing that. And that kind of awareness is important to maximize people's well-being. Um, I, yeah, I think there's, that, that's why that, that awareness is very crucial. It could, mm-hmm. yeah, it could change the social fabric of the world that we live in. Th- the third and final question is, what has been your most memorable third wheeling experience, if any? Whether, whether that's you being a third wheel or <laughs> you being third wheeled by someone else? No, that's not, that doesn't mean the podcast, by the way. <laughs> right. Um, so, um, this, was at back, this was back at Warwick. I'm obviously not taking names. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. it was during the spring break when... Uh, when um, um, so like we international students don't prefer going back home during the spring break because we just stay back and you not know, chill on campus. And uh, so there were three of us who were like two guys and one girl who were um, hanging around ordering pizza uh, in our rooms. And uh, this was midnight. So uh, like I just I'd just gone off to sleep. And uh, like I, I was lying on the same bed as the other two, and they were just I thought that like I thought they were just friends, like and one of them was dating someone else at that point in time. I just woke up for the pizza and I saw that they were busy <laughs> making out. I guess. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this shit only happens at oh, morning. <laughs> <laughs> In the same bed as well. Yeah, exactly. So like, this is. Wait, how why were you in the same bed as them? Like, did you live together? Like, what, what was the scenario? Like, no, we were just we were just chilling and ordered pizza, while, and we were exhausted, so we just crashed on the same yeah, bed. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, Man, that's, that's yeah. I, and and the way yeah, I found that's, that's out a bit, was, that's a bit awkward. <laughs> <laughs> the way I found out was, um, I obviously heard them. Like the, I, I, I could hear some action going behind me. <laughs> I didn't want to act on it without confirming. So I, I waited a while. I trusted my instincts, and yeah, it, I confirmed what was. 
happening and oh man that, that's one of our that's a good that one was, that was that's one of our funnier ones <laughs> yeah and then the uh, next next bit is just anything anyone you would uh recommend or can nominate to come on the podcast avantika oh yeah have avantika, avantika? yeah sure we'll uh <laughs> we'll have to talk some for chibo avantika or um even um so i was talking to liana she hasn't been on it yet because she hasn't been in london no she hasn't yeah. yeah we can talk about uh i forgot what did you yeah. say the other day about um she was saying she doesn't know what she should talk about <laughs> yeah so the thing is, though, if you're you know, just for any guest reference, don't worry about if you can't think of anything to talk about. We'll figure something out, whether it's a catch up or something, and we'll always get away with some some lengthy episode. Oh, you can also have uh, Ali. He'd be super funny. Yeah, yeah, Ali definitely. We'll have to get on sometime. Um, no, that's awesome. And then we now end it with a shout out, so each one of us can shout out something, whether that's something you're working on, a website, a restaurant. Some food, anything, a person, your dog, whatever. So um I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out um a guy called Bill Withers. So he's like a he actually died this week at the time of recording, but um he was a singer like mainly around in like the seventies, um like a soul singer. He sang um like songs like Ain't No Sunshine, Lean On Me, Lovely Day. It's like really big, massive soul singer. Um but he recently passed away, so yeah, I give a shout out to him. Like, go listen to some of his stuff on Spotify, or whatever. It's, it's like some of my favorite music, soul music. So you can even check out my Spotify playlist, So So Soul. So, um, yeah, go mm-hmm. check that out. Um, Hamish, yeah, my one is going to be the Breakfast remix with Retch and Shaka, and also Shaka's Tribe um, Tuesday season two, where he recorded um, and made a song in an hour on Instagram Live, like for six episodes basically in a row. He has a thing called Tribe Tuesday, for those of you who don't know. And yeah, he always makes bangers. So I'll provide the two SoundCloud links in the below. One will be a playlist, one will be a yeah, just the one song. So that's like seven songs total, all bangers. You may know a couple of the features on it, including Wretch. So yeah, go listen to it. Always bangers. And yourself, Monin? I think, I, think uh, I would love to give a shout out to Dr. Andrew Oswald. He's the Warwick professor who is pioneering pioneering all the work with regards to the happiness okay. economics in the world. I'll provide a link to his website where people can read the kind of work that he's doing. Yeah, definitely. That'd be great. Um, awesome. Oh, thank you, Manon, for coming on. That was so much fun. We probably spoke yeah, for like two hours. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> what time is it? You're, it's pretty late in India right now, isn't it? It's three o'clock. Three o'clock in the morning, oh, man. Geez. Yeah, three a.m. So, man, sorry for keeping you up, but um, yeah. Um, and we'll also yeah put links in the description to like Manan's um TED talk, also Unergia. So go check them out. Also, the podcast he was also on. So go check him out there as well. Also, yeah, keep an eye out for any game nights we've been doing UK time evening. Um, we'll keep posting them as we go along. They've had good turnout. Well, had we've done one so far at the time of recording this. Had a good turnout. Whole lot of fun. Whole lot of exclusive jokes, I guess, on Cards Against Humanity and so on. So if you want to ever be a part of it, just follow our Insta and Facebook and you'll see some updates there. Yeah, and hope everyone's uh, coping with lockdown. Hopefully everyone's surviving fine. I'm not getting too bored anyway. Uh, We've got plenty of material you can listen to. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Thank you again, Manon. And um, hope everyone enjoyed the episode. 
and we'll speak to you next week. Sweet. Have a good day. Say bye. Thanks. Love bye. It. Bye.